Okay, here we go. This is me starting the podcast. Welcome to episode five of the podcast. We can already celebrate five episodes. Congratulations, <laughs> Tyler. Thank you. Congratulations to you. How does it feel? A five-episode podcast? Yeah. It, feels, it feels great. I think the reception has been really great. And to see each episode kind of grow with listens. And you figured some stuff out with the drifting issue. Is that correct? Yeah, I really got into it the last time, Game of Thrones. We really had to like go into the episode and then i'm like what the heck let's just try this out let's play back the actual scene as we're talking and i realized oh for some reason the video on youtube is playing way too fast not just like it's a f different frame rate not like 25 versus 30 frames or something significantly faster and then i played around and i realized it's four percent faster on youtube and i wonder if that's intentional like youtube decided we're just going to play videos faster to keep people more engaged they just figured out somehow in terms of attention, retention rates of the audience that that might work better. That's that's what I'm wondering. Is it a conspiracy? I do, <laughs> this is a conspiracy podcast. It's like the new serial. But we're trying to solve this, this drifting issue. But you solved it. I did. I sped up the scenes so everything else is at normal time. And then when we go into the actual scene, we talk about it, what we see, and then what we play back in the actual podcast uh, is different by 4%. And we also are recording this. We record it the day after usually we post the previous episode. So the episodes always go up Sunday at midnight, Pacific Standard Time. And then we have like a day or so of reactions that we will address. And this week we actually got one as we're recording here from Larry about the Game of Thrones episode who says the visual clue is his reaction to missing. The first one was more of a humph. I'll get him next time. Then on the second one, he looks away just before he fires and then smiles after he fires. That is certainly a I missed on purpose reaction. Nice catch. So I have to look call, at it yeah. to, to make sure that's what's going on. But Larry, you're probably right. And that would be a visual clue to tell us he uh, is doing something. It's a character choice. Yeah, good call, because I totally forgot that, and he's totally right. And I had just had that feeling from it, but I forgot there's very clear indication that he is intentionally kind of horsing about. And there's no way he'd miss that first shot. He's like 20 feet away. But anyways, that's for an episode we're trying to get away well, from in energy on this one. Yeah, I was just going <laughs> to, how I'm going to respond to that, because I disagree. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> Sven's will share his thoughts on Patreon. Sounds so good. get on the, the feed there, and he'll have his reaction. But anyway, so Sven, do you want to talk about the epic editing challenge that you're doing? I do. You're going to announce the winner before this episode airs, but Ru you want to talk about the process a little bit. Yes, thanks for asking. We're doing the epic editing challenge, and that is uh, started about a month ago, where we released some footage from two different scenes and we as Chris Torini from Chris Coart that's another YouTube channel and myself we both picked a scene of projects we worked on in the past gave you the footage and then you had a month time to cut a scene the way that you see it so make a story out of it entertain us turns out we got back 750 scenes and I only really have basically uh, 10 days to watch everything I've been looking at these scenes and trying to find a winner. And it's really, it's been eye-opening and a great experience actually for me personally to look at a scene that I cut many, many years ago and see different variations of it. And I do mm -hmm. think I have at least two that I feel really, really strong. They have a perfect score so far. I still have to see a couple hundred more. And then Chris and I are going to get together and he's going to pitch me his winners and I'm going to pitch him mine. And then we're going to 
come together and pick the final final ones. That's where we are. Wow. Let me just get your reaction now that the contest is closed. But I thought about submitting one myself just to see how well I would fare. But what I wanted to submit, and maybe you can tell me if one of the winners did this, was the, the scene, but throughout the scene, interspersed would be a lot of moments from the greatest edits of all time. 2001 Space Odyssey transition, Lawrence of Arabia, different moments we've talked about on this podcast, because I figure if it's about winning, you know, the best editing, if I just included the best editing, I'd be a shoo-in. How would I have fared? You would have been disqualified. Oh, damn it. (laughs) Because one of the rules is you cannot use any outside footage. But it sounds like a great idea. Should we get into today's scene? Yes. What are we doing, Tyler? Today we are doing... We wanted to change pace after exhausting ourselves, gnawing on the first three minutes of Game of Thrones, Battle of the Bastards, and not getting to the battle last week. We decided to do Borat, because I think there's a lot from an editing perspective to look at in terms of the editing. It blends a lot of things that you know a lot about and have a lot of cool opinions on, like nonfiction editing, documentary reality, and stuff like that, and what was really done to kind of shape this narrative. And because we had a little trouble getting an HD clip of Borat, we have one little Borat clip we're going to look at, then we're going to look at one from Bruno. And also, Sasha Baron Cohen's back in the news with Who is America? So it's time to take a look at his work and what a huge part editing plays in that, which is often not celebrated at all. Absolutely, and we should point out that when Borat came out, what he did was revolutionary at the time. He basically did a remix of the reality show format. It is somewhat produced and scripted, but it feels as if it's the real deal. And that was something completely new, and that's the reason why he became who he is now. I mean, he had some he had a show on HBO prior to that, but that really put him on the map for me. Well, for sure, yeah. And a lot of his goal, though, was to be off the map, ironically, with a because then he could keep doing his work. And then we saw after Bruno, he had a hard time doing anything again because everyone just knew he was too successful for his own good and i don't know necessarily that he i mean in terms of like modern reality and what can be done just with the availability of modern camera gear and stuff he did but uh, just a, a point i would make is there's a difference between direct cinema and cinema verite and everyone always mistakes that cinema verite means the b-roll right it's the footage when you're not shooting interviews when you're just grabbing footage it's people call it verite but it's really yeah just the b-roll yeah that would um, be the b-roll unless it's a scene they're covering a scene like a documentary where they're just like watching somebody build something with their bare hands, whatever the, the moment is, and they don't talk about it, they just do it. That's Verite. Well, the interesting thing is that's what Verite is referred to commonly now in editing suites and during production and stuff, but that's not what Verite is, because there's a difference. There's direct cinema, which is the goal of the fly-on-the-wall style cinema of the Maisel's brothers and stuff like that, where you're really just following something around. Where what Verite is, is it means means that the action is happening because a camera is present. So what Sasha Baron Cohen's doing, what you see on Candid Camera, where the action's really only happening because you're creating it around the camera as opposed to going to a protest or an event or something and filming that. That's direct cinema because you're going to the action where cinema verite means that the the event is only happening because a camera is there. So because someone's prompting an interview or something like that. So that's always kind of ironic that people have it backwards now. That's the original definition of it, is what you're saying. Because that's yeah. not how well, I, I mean, understand it's what it, it is, but yeah, people people misuse it. And yeah. yeah, the way you use it is the way it's used by 99%. That's what I tell students, is like, you can't just constantly be correcting people like I am. Yeah. And saying, no, no, oh, well, actually, oh, you want some verite, editor? You want me to go through the B-roll? It's actually not verite. It's the Mandela yeah. effect. Yeah, 
But that's what's interesting is like, yeah, that this idea of causing the drama to happen is very much what Sasha Baron Cohen's doing. For sure. And this is going to be interesting in the clip with Paul Abdul to really figure out who knows what's going on and who doesn't. Yeah, well, the first clip's going to be Borat, just to, just to set the tone. But a couple things about Borat. So, I mean, production, there were already lawsuits and, and problems with it a couple years before it even came out. And they filmed 400 hours of footage. And it's very easy to overlook the amount of manipulation they can go in of getting them comfortable on the camera before he starts going bonkers and making them say crazy stuff and yet stay in the interview. And that's where the editing comes in. You just make it look like he walks in the room and, and goes crazy and... I would be almost more fascinated to watch it from beginning to end than just to see the crazy stuff, but that's what makes it entertainment. So with Borat, the movie actually starts with him in Kazakhstan with a lot of clearly written, it's like a long single take of him going around just explaining who he is and where he's from, which is incredibly important in setting up the emotional journey of the movie, which is another big part of it that's easy to overlook watching it, but there's a really clear emotional arc in it. So that's all set up, and then this scene we're going to look at now is literally the second one. It's all... Very, very planned and produced scene leads to him at the airport, him on a subway, you know, trying to kiss people to greet them. And suddenly that's when this verite hidden camera stuff starts happening, like four or five minutes into the movie. It's like, whoa, what's going on? And then this second scene is just one with him with the hotel manager, which I just think is funny and kind of gives a good context for the general point we're going to be talking about. So do you want to look at it and share your thoughts, Sven? For sure. Let's do it. So cool. the way we're going to do it, as always, is... We have the YouTube clip, so if you're seeing this on Patreon, there should be a link. If you're seeing it anywhere else, hop onto Patreon, search for This Guy Edits, search for the podcast, this is the latest episode. Click the link, and then you can watch along as we are experiencing the scene and analyzing some of the editing. That's great. Do you want to take us through it? Yeah, here we go. In three, two... Welcome to the Wellington Hotel. So we have an exterior shot of the hotel going inside to the concierge, mm -hmm. and he's trying to book a room. It is one hundred seventeen dollars and seven and thirteen cents. We'll call it eighty-five. No, we can call it one hundred and seventeen. <laughs> I think that's a hilarious joke to build it around. Totally, and we're moving fast here. It's great. So then he goes inside yep. the elevator. He starts <laughs> unpacking his stuff because he thinks this is the room. He thinks this is his room, the little elevator. Hold on. You might want to repack your things. We're no. going to be moving again shortly. I will not move to a smaller room. The <laughs> concierge is telling him, no, you got to wait. This is not your room. This is not my room. This is the elevator. It takes you to the floor where your room is. <laughs> this guy whoa, fully whoa, believes whoa. it. Cutting right away into the room. Now he's by himself. He's trying out the bed. Mm -hmm. He's all amazed. Oh, well. King in the castle. King in the castle. He's checking out the <laughs> chair. I have a chair. And he's just like... Playing out the premise. Big joke at the end to end it with him washing his face in the toilet. Which is, I mean, it's all incredibly insulting. And then shortly after that, um, ironically, he goes and takes a crap uh, outside the Trump Hotel, um, <laughs> which is always wonderful. But uh, w what I would just say real quick about that, that scene, the interesting thing to me is, one, just in terms of writing, like he has incredibly well-written jokes that he's manipulating people into stepping into the punchline for. Right. So that, that idea of, like, the guy says, okay, it's $147, and he's like, spits in his hand, 87 you, Who knows what he went through to get to the point that he could do that and not lose the guy? Right. Right? <laughs> to like make him comfortable and then the elevator thing I'd love to watch the raw footage someday of this stuff the cool thing with this scene is how much 
of this movie is narrative. Like him going around the hotel room, it has the feel and it adds to the comedy as you feel like the guy is still there in the room watching him mm-hmm. because they've set it up that he was, but he's not. And it's, it's just for us. Like he's throwing toilet water in his face like just for the camera. And that's kind of a fun thing that almost makes it a Cassavetes movie in terms of style. That freshness of like, holy shit, this is really happening. And then when it's not, you don't realize it's created narratively. And it just gives the film like a very fun specific feel and it's fun to look at it as a film that's my that's my spiel awesome there's a there's a couple of things that i noticed first of all we're flying through this it's super fast he really just goes for the best jokes and moves on it doesn't dwell it's a classical prank adapting the style of a reality show to tell the story where he sort of writes certain jokes or certain setups where he entraps whoever he is having a scene (laughs) with who doesn't know what's happening and then the comedy (laughs) comes from their reaction what they are going to do with it and then they go into the editing and they just pick the best moments Mm -hmm. it's good that you tell me that this is like the second or third scene in the movie we have like this big setup in in kazakhstan right we're flying through this scene he doesn't dwell but what he does in the moment and i'm sure this is how they shot this is he does prop comedy. So whatever mm-hmm. happens in the moment, I'm sure it's somewhat improvised. So he sees the toilet bowl. He's like, what can I do with that? Let's just explore <laughs> three different jokes with that. And then they'll pick the mm-hmm. best one. Same with a chair. Same with a bed. They'll just try certain things. And I'm sure he as a comedian that is used to improvising he immediately has ideas of what to do with that to play out different variations of what the character could be doing yeah that that's the that's the true genius and i mean there's moments where you can tell clearly like he's just going with it in the moment and those are great and you can kind of tell the prepared things and then the other thing just didn't like you were saying like the pacing yeah i mean this happens in a minute and it feels like a whole experience and that's something you've always been great at with in terms of editing documentary editing reality is just like that let's hone it down and hone it down and hone it down until you're just flying through it and yet having the full experience but the thing i wanted to ask you is this idea of we're saying like oh guess what it's edited like he's tricking these people we're going to see in a moment like there's manipulations of reactions and stuff like that where it's being cut in a certain way so you get a character reaction that might not fit with that moment you have some interesting points of view about that in terms of getting to that truth like what is the truth in a documentary and it's something that's discussed by a lot of people errol morris has an entire book about it but inherently like the moment you take a photograph of something it's no longer a true representation of what's there and yet using stuff like this to get to a deeper truth. Right. Well, I subscribe to the philosophy of ecstatic truth. And this comes from Werner Herzog. And basically what that means is you as the storyteller, you see a certain way of how the story needs to be told and you find the truth in the footage. So you use the footage any way you see fit to bend it to tell the ecstatic truth now that means the truth really comes from how you see it or how you think the characters see it so if character a reacts in the wrong way that it doesn't fit the way that you want to tell the story but you find a way in the editing to still make it work through either a frankenbite which is basically taking parts of a sentence putting them back together in a way that a character says something maybe that they never meant to say but they really mean for example some characters have an agenda they're in front of a camera they want to present themselves in a certain way but you want to show the audience what that character really means now you have to decide whether this is ethical or not in the sense of it's just a tool 
the question is how do you use the tool do you use it in a in a way that really truthfully represents those characters or do you manipulate it in a way that it puts the characters in a different way for example i'm gonna go big here on this one on the <laughs> apprentice donald trump <laughs> was being portrayed in a certain way it was all about power and the admiration of power. And people bought into this idea. There's a scene, the contestants tour his apartment, and there's a, like a gold toilet bowl. And one of the contestants in the footage was like, this is ridiculous, this is so stupid. And then they're like, no, 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 you can't say that. You need to be in admiration of this toilet bowl. They had to like... <laughs> recreate this in the editing to make it look as if she was really uh, admiring the toilet bowl. So now you can decide whether <laughs> that's ethical or not. What I think what Werner Herzog means and what most documentary filmmakers... Right. And all, it's important to point out real quick also that The Apprentice is not by any stretch of the imagination a documentary. It's, it's reality. reality which yes. is but there's, there's this relationship between documentary and reality and like one is trying to portray a certain problem in a way that we understand, learn, and maybe act on it, while the other one is trying to entertain us in right. any shape or form. Borat is kind of in the middle there. He's trying to entertain us, but he's also mm -hmm. trying to make us think about certain things. Yeah, it's easier to do the latter part in the TV series as opposed to like a narrative film where he really had to dig in with this and create the emotional arc for the character and journey and really, you know, fake some things. And then his new show, I think, is maybe even building and learning from the stuff he learned in terms of the reception to Borat and Bruno of just designing the moments in a way where it's like you're really seeing like the soul of who these people are doing this stuff. Like there's no way they can back out of it and say they were manipulated into doing these things yep. because it's just who they are yeah partially it's also just about the reaction shots <laughs> right when do you pause for a reaction or when do you use that reaction shot that didn't really happen at that moment but you picked it up later on to create the pause that you need for the joke to work there's a lot of that in in board and i think we can see that even better in the next clip with bruno yeah. how he uses reactions to really nail those jokes before we move on to the next scene I was just looking back at the scene we just watched. There's very little manipulation in terms of reaction shots or anything. It's just timing. Like, when do you cut and move on to the next thing? Just like the ellipsis right. to create the joke. For example, when they're arguing over the price of the room, um, the joke okay. ends on the concierge saying it's 118 bucks or whatever. And just by the fact that you move on to the next moment that makes it funny that's as, right. as far as the editing goes there once they're in the elevator there's very little cutting going on it's basically just deciding how much you're gonna let this dialogue play out as we're staying on this back and we're realizing oh Borat is going to unpack now because he thinks this is his room and the greatest example of manipulation in terms of this film I feel like even though we don't have the clip to look at is the bear scene where they're just driving around with the live bear they're in an ice cream truck because that's the only truck they can afford it's playing music they can't figure out how to turn the music off yet they have a live bear in the back and children are just starting to swarm the van come running up because they want 
want ice cream. And then, of course, the window falls down. The bear puts its head out of the window and just terrifies the children. And they go running off screaming. And it's a hilarious moment. But rewatching it, I kept waiting for the moment of the bear being in the same shot as the children. Right. And it just never happens. There's just a random shot of a bear sticking its head out of a window from inside the van. Like, it could be anywhere. And yet it's structured so well that it gives you that real experience. And I couldn't believe that they got away with it, honestly, watching it. Maybe it'd be tougher nowadays or something to, to 12 years later to get away with that because people are a little more guarded and, and, and jaded uh, when watching films about these tricks. But they got a bunch of kids to run away from an ice cream truck, and that's all the only shot they had. Yeah, that's probably that how moment. they directed them. Just run away, basically. There yeah. never was a bear. Um, so, so do you want to set up Bruno? Yeah, so then moving on to Bruno, just because we have better HD clips, and we've kind of set up everything we want to talk about. So just to kind of go through this one pretty quickly and spend a comment on the things that he's noticing, it is his follow-up film probably much more difficult to pull off because of the success of Borat, and yet he's kind of infiltrated the celebrity circle, and in this case he's going to get Paul Abdul to sit on human furniture. Right, so again, this is an activation where he created this environment and I have a feeling the only person that doesn't know what's going on here is Paula Abdul and her manager or whoever that is that comes with her. Right. They probably found some reason for her to agree to do the interview. And whatever that is, we don't really know. But it, they got her to come here to talk about whatever she needs to talk about. And with that, in three, two... Aber wo sind die neuen Treffen? Oh, keine Sorge. Okay, we're inside an empty, expensive-looking L.A. home. Yeah, this is clearly just a narrative written scene. Yeah, his German, by the way, is terrible here. I can barely understand what he's saying. He clearly just learned those lines to get through this moment here. But the other guy is real. He's the real deal. He is German. So Paul Abdul shows up. Uh, we see an, a, a shot of her walking inside, looking outside. She comes in. A reality star. And here is the reveal. <laughs> here is her reaction to it. <laughs> and I would say this is real. This is her now dealing with the situation that she's faced with. And she sort of decides she's going to go with it. She's going yeah, to one of the, sitting. Paula's yeah. going to sit on one of the Mexicans. And he starts his interview talking about humanity and and all this stuff. Helping other people is so right. vital to my life. Um, <laughs> and water. And her answer is classic. And the water okay. that I drink. It's the best scenario you could imagine for her to be saying stuff like this. You give love to other people and you get love back. With the water and everything. So it makes me think like she might be in on it. I don't know. What do you think? It, the, the water thing makes me think she was either... Something about that moment makes me think that she was... <laughs> She was talked into just grabbing a glass of water and kind of going along with it, and they structured it with the editing to be whatever it needed to be. And again, um, we're moving fast here. So eventually the scene ends scene. with this guy being rolled in who's naked and has food all over his body, and they want to serve <laughs> food to Paula, and apparently that's the moment where she's like, I'm out of here. Right. I guess the point with this scene is you can see how it could be entirely fake. Like, it, this whole thing could be fake, but the way it's cut together, even if the even if her manager who whatever... Her, her handler is in on it. Just that guy not wanting to be photographed, to turn that into a moment where you're blurring his face, that just adds to the authenticity of it, whether they had to blur the face or not. Definitely. Maybe she's in on it. Maybe this is all a setup. But it doesn't really matter for the story or the editing, right? The way exactly. it's told and shot, it feels like a reality show to me. 
Very much, yeah. And if you look at this moment at 1.0108, we look at the way she's taking the water off of the guy. Okay, um, let's take a look at that. I drink. And drinking it. It is extremely, it is, extremely important for me. It just very clearly seems like her face and everything seems like she's in on the joke. You know, like she has a little smile on her face. And maybe it's structured by changing his off-camera lines because the camera drifts down when they put that line in. So, yeah, it's, it's hard to tell with this, but it's, it's, it's hard amazing. To, I, I think it, I would assume it was impossible to tell at the moment because it was so radically new. Yeah. We weren't as familiar with the format of reality show. We weren't as educated in terms of the tricks of the trade. I would have bought into the scene. I would have said Paula Abdul has no idea what's going on and she's real. For sure. And that's the fun is the suspension of disbelief. I mean, we go see Transformers and we're like, okay. I'm in, I'm in this. So that's kind of the fun is you have that going for you anyways. And the first 30 seconds of this scene is set up. And then this entire scene is one minute. It's crazy how fast it is. Scenes like this are so shocking. And they live with you. And it's amazing that all this was accomplished in one minute. And how much more work kind of goes into the, the setup with this kind of stuff is pretty amazing. It makes me well. think that he had so much gold in the editing room that he just had to make it as tight as possible to just get right. get this film to whatever time it needs to be, 90 minutes or so. I feel like there's probably a two-hour version of this film that would work just as well. I want to point out all these cutaway reaction shots to the Mexican guys. So when she sits down at 54, we cut to the guy that she's sitting on, and his reaction, clearly he's playing it up for the camera. <laughs> But the right. way that this is edited, it's doing the storytelling for us. His reaction right. tells us how weird and awkward and uncomfortable she is. He's playing it as if this is a real strain on him to have her sitting <laughs> on, which I think it's probably not. Right. And then every time she, her answer is basically being buttoned with a reaction shot of one of the guys. To, right. to just nail the joke. And I think that's really where the editing, where you can learn something. How do you button a joke? How do you give it breath? Right. How do you play it off with the reaction of a face? Yeah, and I wonder how little time she spent in that room, how many cameras were in that room. Uh, it looks like a two to three camera shoot to me. Yeah, but I feel like she would, to get her, like it almost serves you to have more, you know, for the deceit. Right. Like if you had seven cameras in there, she would be like, okay, this <laughs> makes more sense. <laughs> Well, good. I think these were cool scenes to really look at some comedy, look at a very innovative style of doing comedy. Yeah, very editing-based in terms of making the jokes work. Yeah, and talk about concepts of what is ecstatic truth or what is truth per se. When do you really manipulate the story where you take advantage of characters? I think here we're sort of walking the line. It's a close call. Yeah. If you'd like to continue this conversation with stuff that you notice about it, like we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, please hop on the Patreon page. The link is public so everyone has access to it. The comment at the beginning of this episode was very helpful. It helped us realize the big thing we were stumped on for the entire Game of Thrones scene. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Please do try and play along by if you have the opportunity to watch the video on YouTube as well. But having said that, I really tried this out on the previous episode with Game of Thrones. I just went jogging and and listen to the episode and i think it's working but you tell me let us know leave a comment and if you enjoyed the episode subscribe to us on itunes or wherever you're listening to it and let a friend know thank you to kurda for the music and happy editing
speakers There's no same zone to put your head between the speakers There's no same zone to put your head between the speakers Yeah, next, let's find an even shorter scene for the next one Because that worked so well this time It did, but it also was so... No, I'm totally kidding. We <laughs> yeah. went down to we had a 20 minute scene last time. We're like, oh, it's too long. And now we did one minute scene. It's so like, I think 30 you, seconds. You can't even do anything, and and he's done. It's crazy. <laughs> okay, I'm turning this 